Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Jerry Ramajita. Jerry is an extremely talented chiropractor who's been working in some of the most intense and demanding sports performance environments throughout his career. He is currently a consultant with many Olympic athletes as well as professional athletes in the MLB, NHL, NFL, and EPL. He has been the Seattle Seahawks team chiropractor and performance therapist since 2002. He's worked at numerous international track and field events and has a unique interest in the sport of athletics, maintaining a working relationship with Altus Training Group in Phoenix, Arizona. In January of 2010, Jerry was hired by the United Kingdom Athletics to bring his methods of trackside performance therapy to the UK to help the nation's efforts to meet high expectations at the 2012 London Summer Olympic Games, where his contributions clearly made a difference. The reason I've asked Jerry on Leave Your Mark is not only because he is an accomplished performance professional, but because he's a man willing to share and mentor others. I've witnessed Jerry's deep conviction to his craft and his honest desire to help others be better themselves. He is also a dedicated father and family man. I'm honored to have him here today. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you very much, Scott, and thank you for that introduction. Uh, I, I appreciate all the kind words. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really it's really nice to be able to sit down and chat with you today because uh, we've bounced a lot into each other over the last, I would say, six or seven years, and had, I've had the opportunity, as I said, to watch you teach and to watch you mentor others, and I was always impressed by your honest uh, effort to, to give to others and to give some of yourself, which I think at the end of the day is one of the big hallmarks of or differentiating factors for me on, on people who are really good at what they do and people who just, you know, want to be or show that they're good, you know, so to speak. And, sure. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, sort of as a kickoff, because I know you're uh, you're in football now, and you grew up in in uh, Surrey as a and and Vancouver as a Canadian boy. You're a Canadian. What is your favorite sport to watch? Like, what do you like watching? Oh boy, favorite is a hard hard choice. Um, <laughs> I, I like I enjoy watching almost almost everything because there's an appreciation for what athletes do you know regardless of the sport the skill that they have and just the 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 quality of movement that they express and but uh as a fan i would have to say you know hockey and football are very close and then just from a professional standpoint uh like you touched upon in the intro i track and field is a, is a passion um so hard to separate it out appreciate all sports but yeah probably football hockey and then and then and then track were you a Canuck, canucks fan growing up yeah oh yes i was a painful <laughs> through all the difficult oh, times oh my goodness you know it was it was funny I, it, it, anyone who's had a a team that struggled for many many years you you almost become used to watching your team to watch other teams come into town for their talent, you know, Gretzky, <laughs> Lemieux, all those guys. Cause you just knew it was going to be a, a difficult watch on a, every, any given night. So yeah, I've, I've been a long suffering Canucks fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you remember the first time you ever went to a live game in, in Vancouver? Boy. Yeah. I would have been at the old Pacific Coliseum. I'm trying mm. to remember who they were playing. In those crazy uniforms with the oh yeah with the uh, the black the, orange the, yellow the, uh, the skate no, they had so many different logos over the years yeah <laughs> yeah I the, definitely the ugliest 
at the time was that the V, the yellow, gold, black, red, on black V. And uh, I don't even know how that happened. But. <laughs> Who designed that? And they should have been shot. Yeah, where it came from. <laughs> what were your, some of your key influences as you grew up? Like what uh, sort of shaped you as a young uh, person growing up in Vancouver and Surrey? You know, my dad is probably my biggest influence. He uh, came to to Canada when he was six years old, or to, uh, sorry, twelve years old, uh, and uh, relatively teenager, and uh, you know, just didn't have a lot of education, obviously, and um, was raised or spent a lot of time obviously with his brother, his oldest brother who had moved to Canada kind of at that time, you know, Europe was after world war. Mason and bricklayer and just the work ethic that he had to kind of, um, provide for us was Mm. something that, uh, I, you know, I, it's not something that I think I was constantly aware of, but it certainly transferred into me in terms of just knowing that, you know what, if you want to accomplish things, you need to work hard. And he just displayed it, you know, day in, day out, sometimes six and seven days a week. And, and uh, you know, also with the limitations of his education, you know, very early on started his own business and became, you know, very successful as a, ultimately as a housing contractor and uh, just showed that, you know, it's really the degree of determination that someone has that, that, that allows you to accomplish things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that passed over to me in a lot of ways. I grew up uh, playing soccer and then in high school, I started playing football, but I was the smallest kid, uh, on the field. And, um, I think that aspect of just working as hard as you possibly can, um, passed on to me and, and, you know, made me successful as an athlete, um, with opportunities to, to play university football and and things like that. But, um, uh, definitely my dad would be probably the biggest influence Mm. from the, from the early days for sure. What was your mom's uh, role in your in your life, so to speak? Is yeah, my dad was definitely the the hot blooded uh, Italian. You know, like <laughs> anyone who's listening who has a European parent, you know that that he just had to give you a look. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have, to, and so there is definitely a degree of um, uh, not a roughness. But, you know, mom was the mom was the comforter. Mom was the one you went to when you needed consoling. And and uh, so that was kind of her role to as a nurse to nurture. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> she did a great job of that um, for sure. Um, so your dad was from Italy. Yeah. Is that yeah. where your mom's from, too? Or they mother was born in Austria and oh, wow. uh, came over when she was two two, three years old. So she, she pretty much grew up in, in, in Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Burnaby. 
so so you got that germanic uh, italian italian mix going on there, that's right? it exactly <laughs> <laughs> stoic fire so to speak <laughs> that's, that's it yeah. you know so you yeah. played football you're uh, i didn't realize that that's cool yeah high school football i, I, I you know what growing up i i played anything that they let me you know <laughs> soccer baseball uh track um and then once I got to high school, I, I initially played a lot of soccer and, and that was kind of my, my passion. We moved out to Surrey, a suburb of Vancouver, when I was quite young. And the one thing we did have out there was a lot of space, and a lot of room. So it was me and my soccer ball and just kicking the ball around by myself a lot. And uh, soccer was definitely a passion kind of growing up to that high school level. And then once I was in high school, I went to a Catholic high school and, and football was king. And uh, I always dreamed of playing quarterback, uh, growing up a 49ers fan and watching Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and those guys. And, um, and uh, had the opportunity to start playing quarterback in grade eight at four foot six or whatever I was. Quarterback, <laughs> I like it. Okay. Sweet. So I'm a quarterback <laughs> and a defensive back, a defensive back slash safety. And uh, love playing quarterback, but my favorite was definitely on the defense because, you know, it was just I, I love to hit people. <laughs> uh, just that 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 young man aggression where you just wanted to hit people, and uh, you know, I can remember one of one of the early football coaches I had. You know, he used to always come up to me and goes, Ramajita. It's not the size of the dog. It's the size of the fight of the dog. And I just, just get all fired up. <laughs> People, you know, I remember playing against our nemesis. Uh, well, they were our nemesis. We were barely a blip in the, in the road for them it was Vancouver college. And at my size, they had a tight end that was like six, two and two twenty. And I, like I said, I was maybe five foot and one thirty. And I remember coming out of my safety spot, he caught a pass and I was like bug on the windshield. I hit him with everything I had. And the next second I'm staring at the sky with all the snot down my face going, whoa, someone get the license plate of that truck. <laughs> That's beautiful. What is, the, what is the game of football? Um, and there could be num numerous different points of, uh, of debarkation for that. But the game of football, both from playing and now working and watching it at its highest levels taught you? You know, I think it, it kind of goes across most team sports, but certainly yeah, I always say that the, 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 the lessons I learned in sport really prepared me for life, you know, um, teamwork, you know, knowing what your role is, trying to do your job, the, best way you possibly can and not trying to do more and trusting those around you that they're going to do their job. Um, and, and just, yeah, having trust in one another to, to accomplish a, a common goal. Um, you know, it teaches you teamwork, but, and, and then further, you know, getting along with people that you may not always agree with or get along with. Um, so you learn, you just, you learn how to, to be inclusive, um, how to work with, with different individuals from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, 
teaches you conviction, you know, sticking to it when, I mean, you know, going back to that grade eight year, we didn't win a game. I mean, we, we were terrible <laughs> and it's, you know, you're, you're sitting in class think, and watching the rain pour down and you're practicing on a sandlot field and you're thinking, Oh, I really don't want to go out there. But you know, you, you have this commitment to, to, to the guys around you that you're going to go out there and give it all you have every day. And, and, uh, I mean, I remember when we scored our first touchdown, it was one of probably the second last, last, uh, game of the year. And, and it was a big, that was massive for us. And, you know, that group was that, that all those things, that group ended up, we ended up going to the provincial championship in our grade 12 year um, and going into like quadruple overtime and losing and quadruple overtime. But when you think this ragtag bunch of kids that, you know, we couldn't, like I said, we couldn't get out of our own way. I think one of our running backs actually scored a touchdown for the other team because he <laughs> ran the wrong way. <laughs> but <laughs> all those aspects of commitment, just committing to just getting better every day, teamwork, um, dedication. Uh, Sounds yeah. like it taught you resiliency as well. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, for sure. What, uh, what took you into, uh, well, sort of segue into your education. How did you find chiropractic and or did it find you? And, and uh, yeah, I, I experienced chiropractic personally. Well, what happened my in watching my father, as, as I was speaking to earlier, he did have a history of kind of chronic low back issues and probably goes back to his early days of, you know, being a kid and helping out, um, his, his brothers back in Italy, carrying rocks and bricks and, and then doing that, you know, for a good part of his adult life as well. And, uh, he would, there would be episodes where he'd just be laying on our living room floor for three, four or five days until he could go back to work again. And, you know, that would, those were episodes that I recall and what would happen typically when it was bad enough, he'd end up going to his GP who um, would give him, you know, the traditional painkillers and muscle relaxants and he'd take meds until he could get off the floor. And uh, a friend of his at that time recommended a chiropractor. And this would have been probably in the eighties, the first time, you know, when chiropractic didn't have, you know, there was significant bias in the, in the medical field, but, uh, he was like, look, I, I, I'll try anything to help. And, uh, he had significant improvement or, and, and help when he had his, had his episodes. So being an athlete myself and also doing a lot of downhill skiing, um, I, and I remember my, <laughs> my first low back strain was from skiing, taking a, taking a nice jump and having the flat landing and <laughs> going, Oh my goodness, that didn't feel so good. So had, because my dad was already going, you know, went in experienced chiropractic and got good results. And then basically used that through high school with all the sports that I partook in. And the nice, the thing that always attracted me to it was, you know, if I went to my GP with a specific injury, he'd be like, okay, so you're not going to do anything for two weeks. And, you know, as an athlete, <laughs> you hear that and you're like, yeah, that's not going to happen, but okay, whatever you say, doc. And when I'd go to the chiropractor, he'd be, you know, he'd treat me. I'd, I'd feel some relief uh, right away. And there was kind of that, he, he never said, don't go, don't play. 
you know, so that to me, I was, I was like, huh, you know, I kind of leave, I feel, feel somewhat better and I'm going to play anyway, but you know, there was no, uh, forbidding to play the sport. Uh, so that kind of, kind of influenced me. And then like, uh, we were mentioning, uh, I was a big 49ers fan and one the Super Bowl I believe against the Bengals where they came back and Joe Montana had that 2 minute drive that just from their own 20 down the field and they ended up scoring the winning touchdown. But in that game, Joe Montana they they showed him being treated on the sideline by a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Um and I was like, "Whoa, that's pretty cool. Like this guy's on the sideline of the Super Bowl." Um that, you know, that, that stuck with me at that point that you could, um, have a degree of involvement in sport with that profession. And, uh, so those were kind of the early influences that, that mm-hmm. had me thinking chiropractic. And then you went into school and took the program and what was it that, <clears throat> what did you resonate with? Was it the, the ability to make change? Like you were just talking about, was it the, the, the use of your hands? Was it the supporting somebody or was it a combination of things that, you know, that really it, attracted you? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I was in university, I still want, was thinking about medicine and Cairo and, and physiotherapy. At the end of the day, it was really a desire. I wanted to help people. Mm. Um, and given my experiences, I, 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 I uh, had a degree of empathy for what people were going through who were suffering from from physical discomfort and wanted to be able to help people in that way and just because i had a strong interest in sport always wanted to do something that would at least let me from the fringes you know have a a degree of involvement Um, Mm -hmm. and it was funny it was actually medical school that kind of really made the the direction to chiropractic final for me i uh at, back in the day, UBC had uh, the process. You did your MCATs and you submitted your application. And if they were interested, you went to interview number one. And if you did okay in one, you went to interview two. And if you made it through interview two, they sent you on to the dean of admissions. And, and uh, so I made it to three, to interview three with the dean. And uh, the, I, that summer, I had done a biomedical ethics course. And... Uh, it was the topic of euthanasia and uh, which was a hot topic at that time. And it was a philosophy course as well as biomedical ethics. And um, the teacher also told you your position. It's like, you're going to argue for euthanasia. And at that time I was like, are you kidding? I don't agree with that at all. (laughs) But you know, then I started having to study the models that were in place in the, the Netherlands and, and uh, ended up through my research um, coming to a, an understanding, you know, that there's a degree of, of dignity that people in these end-of-life situations have in being able to make that choice and all the rules and such. So anyway, we go into this interview and they tell you to be prepared for issues that are in the media currently. And, uh, <laughs> You know, I knew the answer he wanted when he asked the question. So tell me your position on euthanasia, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I had to give him my, my whole spiel after all the research. Cause you know, I, I could back it up. I had the research and he just, I knew right then and there it was over, you know, 
<laughs> I tried to get in a logical argument with him. I was like, you know, doc, tell me what's the difference between an active, you know, doctors can, we can stop treatment. So that's an active omission. But if we assist, it's an active commission. So really the end result's the same. So, you know, <laughs> and he, he just shook his head. He goes, he's trying to tell me there's no difference. And I, I just, so anyway, needless to say, medical school did not happen. And I already had acceptance letters from a few of the chiropractic schools. And I was like, well, and then the irony, he goes, look, you have a good application. I think you should take a year off, go travel, get some life experience and come back. And I was like, you know, doc, if, if you want to fund that effort, I'd be happy to travel for a year. But uh, needless to say, I, I, I went into chiropractic and, and uh, you know, no regrets for certain. That's awesome. That's a good story. Uh, do you think, do you think you would have been a good doctor? You know, I, I look at, I, I think so. I, I believe so. I mean, to me, <laughs> you would have been con controversial doctor. <laughs> probably, probably. Cause I can't, to me, to me, all these professions are about relationships and empathy and being an advocate, you know, being an advocate for the people you work for ultimately always trying to do what's in their best interest. And, you know, in our Canadian system, we have our challenges with wait times and accessibility and things like that. And those types of things, I don't know that I, I would have had a really tough time with those types of things, knowing I have patients that are waiting longer than what is reasonable for the services they need and require. And, and given I still work within the Canadian system, and so those are still frustrations, but being in the position I am, it makes it a lot easier for me to advocate and, and push a lot harder. I, I feel for physicians who are in the system because you're part of the system and, it, and, and, and you're kind of torn. You're being told one thing by, by your, 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 um, your board. Um, you, you, you suffer from the, the limitations. So, it must be an extremely challenging position to be in on a daily basis where you know what someone needs, but you also know that there's significant limitations. So you can't really advocate as much as you'd like. Mm -hmm. Whereas as a chiropractor, we're, you know, I'm, I'm expected to be loud and, and uh, a pain in the rear end. So I, I can fill that role at it very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually a good segue for something that I think is a common, a thread of commonality between you and I, which is, um, sort of your your sensitivity to the proactive use of your of your skills and your abilities when it comes into this concept of performance therapy and the idea of using what you 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 know how to do to actually change things before they actually become problematic. Where what what was the genesis of that in you as a practitioner? What drove you to start looking at how you could use these skills on the track on the side of the track or in some space to actually make changes immediately and move the athlete or the person forward without it actually always being reactionary which we typically right. see in the medical paradigm so to speak sure yeah you know there are probably two major influences that led me um in that direction one one was was finding active release techniques and and dr mike Leahy um very early in my career i i started practice and i was only a few months in and i was already starting to really get frustrated in that 
you know, I, I treat a patient with the methods I had, you know, some, some very basic soft tissue work and manipulation, some basic rehab exercises, and they'd keep coming back with the same issue, usually with temporary relief, but usually after a period of time, the same issue returned. And, and I was doing everything I knew and I, I was started searching. I was like, there's got to be more answers than this because I can't continue. If I can't figure out how to get people relief and, and actually resolve these issues, this is going to be a really frustrating <laughs> profession. And, I, and uh, fortunately, I was, I was, ART was mentioned to me and I was like, okay, well, let's, let's look into this. And, you know, I, I remember taking my first seminar and, um, being inspired by a lot of these, a lot of guys and, and girls who were doing what I wanted to do, working in the NFL, working with professional athletes, Dr. Mark Lindsay, working with Donovan Bailey, um, you know, Joe Polino, working with, with NHL players, uh, lots of guys like that. And I was like, holy smokes. And, and, and then learning this technique that when I went back Monday, I, I started getting significantly better results almost right away i was like wow you really can make change and make change quickly and through that um we had a biomechanics course down at the university of texas and uh with dan path and i had already heard a lot about dan path because i was working with uh kevin tyler uh, a, a track coach locally in vancouver at the time and uh you know Dan was legendary already at that time, working with Donovan Bailey, Bruni Sir, and Mark Boswell, all these great Canadian athletes. And uh, because of that, I had a really distinct curiosity that I, I wanted to get down there. And then this opportunity came up to, um, to go down and, and do this course with Dan and Mike Leahy. And, uh, you know, I, I thought at the time, I go, you know what, we had a, I was going to help assist a course in dallas the week after the biomechanics course in austin texas where dan was and uh, we did the course and that's where i've really started to appreciate that if you really understood what an athlete was trying to accomplish um, and you knew what they were trying to do in terms of the skill and the movement pattern that they were working toward if you were to then observe limitation combining that knowledge of what they're trying to do with the anatomy you could impart change if you had effective techniques to do so and so that was dan dan really influenced me in that regard and i fell in love with the approach and and you know i you look back to to events in your life that had the probably the biggest impact on the direction your whole career took and for me i did the biomechanics course and i didn't have anywhere to stay or, but I knew I wanted to stay that week and just hang around and watch, watch Dan work. And, you know, to his credit, you know, there's this barely experienced kid that can do ART and just graduated from chiropractic college. And he, he embraced it with open arms. And in essence, I just followed him around for an entire week on the track and, you know, met Donovan and Bruni and, Mark Boswell and all those guys who were inspirations to me in terms of their, their athletic abilities and got to know these guys started doing work with them. And, and Dan just for a week, just never stopped, just 
this is what I'm looking for here. You know, you get an opportunity to sit and watch um, Obadelli Thompson, uh, Donovan Bailey, uh, and a number of really talented athletes coming out of the blocks during training. And, and I'm just like a kid in the candy store. And so, you know, the, that, that opportunity and then having those two influences in Mike Leahy and in Dan Paff, it kind of set the stage where I, I really, really, really grabbed onto this proactive approach. Let's get movement quality the best it can be on a daily basis so that, you know, practice can be the highest quality athletes. You know, your hope is that by improving movement quality on a daily basis, you're, you're reducing injury frequency. Um, you're recognizing where, when limitations are occurring before they become problematic. And that kind of set the stages to where we are today. That's awesome. Um, just a little segue into Dan, because I'm going to talk to Dan tomorrow a little bit, but um, your desire to share and mentor, um, did you, did you learn or were you influenced by Dan through that? Because every, every person who's ever talked to me about Dan, including my own personal experiences with him is he's a very giving educator, somebody who in some sense, maybe to, to a fault in some sense has, has always sort of given himself and his knowledge to others. Was that powerful for you or, or, or influential in your career? Absolutely. Absolutely. As I mentioned, you know, like, he, <laughs> I remember going into his office the first time and just being amazed by the stacks and stacks of papers. And, and at the time it was all VHS, VHS tapes. And I mean, literally floor to ceiling stacks of videos and papers. And, and just, you could see how the, the passion at which he approached it, but he didn't hide anything. There were no secrets it was like anything you wanted to know, any question you had or anything he felt was important. He just gave it out freely. And that had a huge impact on me. And, um, you know, I tried to, I, I, I've tried to emulate that as much as I've been able to in, in my career for sure, because, you know, you, you think about the things you learn and the experiences you gain and, and Dan and his now through over well, almost 40 years of experience, what good is that if it's not shared and it goes to the grave with you? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's almost, it's, it's a, it's a waste not to share it. You know? And, and I think people get caught up a lot of times in this, you know, it's the, it's the, the, an attitude of lack, you know, that as a chiropractor, I, I don't want to share it, it, you, you, you somehow feel that an athlete becomes a possession. That's my athlete, you know, mm -hmm. or that's my patient. And if you let yourself go down that road, it, it just ends up closing the so many doors around your opportunity to share and learn and experience and, and, you know, the happiest patients are the ones that you openly tell them, look, I don't have the answers for you, but this person, this person, this person may have better answers for you than I do. And that, that becomes a patient for life because mm -hmm. they know that, that you have their best interests at heart. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Dan, Dan was a huge influence in that regard. Um, 
I want to pivot off of that last thing that you said. It's a huge one for, especially for younger practitioners who might be listening to this. Um, when did you have that epiphany for yourself that, that the better treatment or the better care of a client comes from you finding the solution, whether you have it or not, um, and, and finding them the right direction? When, when did you have that realization personally? Yeah. You know, I don't know that I can think it back to a specific um, incident or or time. Um, You know, it definitely would have been very kind of early in practice. I I was at a clinic out in a in a small community um, called Aldergrove, and uh, limited limited services. So you know, it became. I'd get, you'd get everything walking in the door, right? Cause they're just, they're just coming for answers because, you know, I think there was two medical clinics for the whole community. So, you know, it's hard to get in there. And then there were, there were two chiropractic clinics and very easy, very quickly. I had to learn to say, I don't know. Um, (laughs) because you know that skin rash i'm sorry i have no clue what that is Uh, um, and and, you know as well i knew based on my training that at that time that you know active i had the basics of rehab but it i knew that there were a lot of people who could do it a lot better um and and so yeah you know i always I think it goes back kind of to very early on that uh, understanding what your limitations are from, from your education and, and not being afraid to say it. It, it, it was, it was there kind of early. Cool. What have been, um, when you look back at yourself early practitioner to now as a professional, what do you, what do you see as your really most important growth as a person and um, what you do now? in the way you practice now? You know, I think the more techniques I've learned and the, the, the more experiences I have and the, you know, you know, I think I've been very fortunate that a lot of times I see people that have seen many practitioners and providers and there's a, there's a significant part of people getting well that I've learned over the years that a lot of times it's really just giving them an opportunity to tell you what's going on and listening to them, just letting them tell their story. Cause there's a lot of people who I've had the, you know, the, the opportunity to work with again, who've seen multiple people and, if you were to put my skills up against other people's skills and certain, certain providers, I know they have excellent skills. Hmm. So what's the difference? I think in healing professions, it really comes down to making that connection with someone and really giving someone an opportunity to, to communicate, to make a connection and to have them, really feel that you are listening and you're empathetic to what you, what they're going through that. And and then the other thing would be is again, the human body is so complex. You know, we have, it's a complex system. 
you know, it, it, as it as is becoming more and more apparent. And we don't know 100%, you know, what our inputs are doing and what the result's going to be on a given day with a given person with their emotional state and their physiologic state and all those things. But it, I think it really comes down to their trust in you and building that trust through, through, an, through that connection you make by being open, listening to them, and then also being very careful and aware of what your intentions are and where you, what your headspace is when you're in the room with that person. Mm-hmm. A, a, a provider that I, Dr. Gabrielle LaSalle, you know, she was the, the, the practitioner that uh, owned the clinic that I started way out in Alder Grove in the early days. And she said to me, she goes, I, I asked her what it took to be successful. And she goes, just, just do one thing treat the patient in front of you like they're your only patient because at that time, you know what they are. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? It, it, it's true. I mean, give just the person in front of you, give them the attention and the empathy and the time mm-hmm. necessary to, to feel that they're being heard. And you know, that that's, that's probably what I've realized over the years. You know, you can have a toolbox of 6 million different techniques and we've all been there trying to learn the latest and greatest. And then you realize, you know, it, it's, it, yeah, there's value in all those techniques and knowing when to use them. But at the end of the day, I've seen people who have one or two techniques and they do incredibly well because there is that human aspect of just empathy and connection. Mm-hmm. Huge. So you've got this, uh, well, you've got a pretty impressive resume, my friend. So, you know, how does, how does somebody create that, you know, like for, for, for maybe a younger pro- professional or somebody in their middle career, you know, a lot of times they're jumping, chomping at the bit to, to do what you do, you know, work at the Seattle Seahawks or whatever it is. What's, what's your advice to them and what has been your experience in crafting um, that that career, th- those opportunities, and taking them in a direction that's allowed you to to really fulfill your own your own character and who you are. Right. You know, I think the biggest thing, and I, and I tell this a lot to young docs that come and hang out at Fortius with me and want to want a shadow, and they ask, you know, that how'd you get to where you are? And, you know when you when you have the intention of what you want to accomplish sometimes those connections just kind of come by happenstance but the biggest thing for me when i started i knew i wanted to get involved in sport but i knew as a chiropractor other than playing a lot of the sports i had no experience and so when i got to alder grove i i my first thing i i the rink was on the next corner you know i just walked over and watched there was a, a a midget team practicing and i just said hey can i um can i help out you know i had my portable table and i'm like look i, I just want to learn you know how i can help you guys and what skills i have that can help you and i did that for hockey i did that for a local soccer team and then i also went down to the langley rugby club who had a first second third division men's squad and a women's squad and i and I got to know the coach and I said, Hey, I, I, I want to come and help. And, you know, 
through those. And then, and then the other was with track. And at the time, you know, Kevin Tyler was a coach out in, uh, out in, um, in, uh, Richmond. And so I drive from Aldergrove to Richmond, which is a good hour and a half, you know, just to also go out there and watch. And I can trace everything I've done back to those early efforts at volunteering Mm -hmm. because, you know, Kevin went on to coach Tyler Christopher, who became the first Canadian to break 45 seconds in the 400 and win a bronze medal when we were in Helsinki, Finland. Um, It was through him that I ended up meeting Dan. And then Dan was good friends with the head strength coach of the Seattle Seahawks who were looking for an ART provider to come in and help train their staff. Mm. Um, you know, and through some of the volunteering, I got to meet a physiotherapist named Rick Celebrini and now Rick Celebrini, you know, he's been the, the head of the, Whitecaps, their science and medicine. He's been the head of rehab for the Canucks and has moved on now with uh, the Golden State Warriors as their head of, uh, as their director of um, performance and sports medicine. When you, when you immerse yourself with no expectation of financial return and just the desire to learn, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, that those connections, you never know where they're going to take you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that would be my recommendation to people figure out what your passion is in terms of what it is you want to do. And then the other thing would be, and it's always, you know, you always hear it, but find mentors Mm -hmm. that first day, like I mentioned that first ART class, I met Mark Lindsay, uh, Dr. Joe Polino, Mark Scappatici, um, all these giants in the field. And, those guys were, were unbelievable. They, they shared everything they knew. And, and, you know, it got to the point where Mark would just call me and say, Hey, I take this course. I didn't even ask. Yeah. Okay. When can I, where's, and I'd look it up and take the next one because those mentors already proved the path, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just, I just did what they said and uh, <laughs> you know and that's that's really kind of how it all all transpired it's a good segue for part that i do in my podcast um i found a book a number of years ago called day you were born and basically it combines numerology with astrology and and I had this <laughs> profound moment uh, where i read my purpose and it connected with me and all that stuff so one of the little things that i like to do is read the person's purpose that i'm talking to so you are a Sagittarius two right so your purpose is to learn how to use your sensitivity and your vulnerability to overcome great odds transforming them into inspirational strengths that get you to your goal and allow you to help others along the way wow until you try you don't know what you can do henry james once Sag 2 has accepted the fact that they can't do everything and accept their talents, which are many, they're on their way. The danger is their desire to have someone else protect them. Giving power away always leads to trouble. So I don't know if any of that re- re- resonates for you or not. But That is uh, eerie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you you got to send me a copy of that. Holy smokes. <laughs> 
there's a lot of truth there my friend holy pretty cool man wow yeah i um the i i tell the story so so i don't like to chew up too much time in my podcast with it but because it's sort of connected with you i'll tell you when i found the book i was after my second divorce and i'd had this saying taped to the top of my desktop that some men see things as they are and say why dream things that never were and say why not and so this had been on my desktop for probably about 10 12 years and i picked up this book and i go to sag three and I read the purpose and it really resonated. Like I was like, whoa, that's incredible. And the first line of the next paragraph, which each one has a quote, was that quote. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I bought the book and now I do it. And about eight times out of 10, people are like, wow, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. Yes. Um, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about, you know, your experience it's not everybody's experience to win a, to be a part of a Super Bowl winning team. And, you know, what did you, what did you learn about what it takes to be the very best in that process of winning that Super Bowl? Yeah. You know, it's a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> you need one, you need the talent, but in the NFL, everybody has talent. And granted, you look back now in our roster, man, we had an incredible amount of talent and a lot of depth. Two, we had a head coach who came in and had an incredible ability to explain and share his vision, his philosophy, and all the qualities that he knew we had to display to become a championship team and his ability to clearly articulate it and get people on board with it um, was incredible. Hmm. Um, three, you got to get lucky. You got to get a little bit lucky. I mean, I, I, you know, we, we finished that season, I think 13 and three or 12 and four, and we had home field advantage, but you know, one or two losses the other way. And, you're, you don't have that home field and, and, you know, who knows what happens, but you know, there were game there were games where, you know, the difference was the other team hitting an upright on a field goal that would have changed the outcome uh, or, or, you know, a fumble that ends up in your hands instead of the, the guy three inches to your right on the other team. So um, you got to get a little bit lucky, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and granted, you know, preparation, what's the saying? You know, uh, yeah. Preparate, uh, oh, now I'm going to forget it, but when preparation meets opportunity, opportunity. it's, uh, it's what you yeah. perceive as luck, so to speak. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, we also, you know, we did well that year in terms of injury. Um, you know, we had our fair share of them, but we did really well at getting guys back quick. Um, you know, I think we had the, sh- the, the quickest return in terms of per injury, the number of man games lost that year. We did extremely well that way. And, and then we, yeah, we got lucky. We didn't have any big key injuries at the right position. And you can also, you know, there, there's an aspect of managing guys well and the coaching staff doing a good job of managing load um, to, to, let yourself to find yourself in that position and, and then doing it, you know, getting to the Super Bowl back to back years. Um, but 
yeah, you know, a clear vision, having the talent, having the support around that talent um, to keep them on the field. Um, and, you know, all, and a little bit of luck. And sure. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but did you um, experience any learning or um, moment of reflection around the opportunity to win one and also to not win one? Does, were, was there something that you grew from out of that? You know, I'll tell you that the halftime of the first Super Bowl it was like every experience I had in my career was preparing me for that moment mm. because we had, I had three specific issues to deal with within a very short period of time. And I knew I had one chance at each of them, but, you know, being through a number of Olympic games where, you know, the pressure can be kind of crazy with Olympics and, and, and different experiences along the way, you know, I had, it was almost, it almost felt like everything I'd done to that point was for that, that moment. And, and all three of the situations, all three of those athletes, we, we got the desired result in the short time frame we have, and they both all went out to continue to contribute um, to us winning, you know, the, to, to lose the game, that with the way we did in that second one, I mean, it, it's a heartache to this day and I still wake up thinking if, did I dream it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, it's funny. I reflect back and, and you just, a lot of times you do, and you'll know, you know, this, uh, you learn a lot more from your failures than your successes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I learned some interesting things about, about, sport in general in that moment i mean why do we love sports so much because it takes us on this this emotional journey where you're going to experience the highest highs and the free, the lowest lows and and that's why we love it mm -hmm. and and you know it taught me that all you can do is do the best you can in the situation you're in to contribute towards it and you know what Sometimes it's going to go your way and sometimes you're just going to be on the wrong end of, of, <laughs> of an event of a, of a, a play of it. And you know, it, it's, but it's why we all love it mm -hmm. because it makes you feel, <laughs> it makes you feel the extremes and as much as, as elating as it was to be on the, the field as the confetti and everything was flying around in New York the year before to have that pass intercepted with less than 20 seconds left on the goal line. When you, you know, I remember letting my mind slip to the place of, Oh my goodness, we're going to have another, we're going to have another parade. Like we're going to, we're going to win back to back Super Bowls. And I, and I've never spoken directly to players about what they were thinking in that moment, but it reminds me of, of even of Lolo Jones. I don't know if you remember Lolo in Beijing. Mm -hmm. She was the, no one had run the hundred meter hurdles faster than her that year. She was undefeated. She was out to hurdle the second last hurdle with no one close. And she let her mind wander for a second and look up at the big screen and hit that final hurdle, that second last hurdle. And like that, it's over. And I, you know, I just, 
wonder how many of their guys on the field just let that focus slip for that brief second or, or, or who knows, maybe, you know, maybe, or, or, you know, um, you know, who knows, but it, it just showed me how easy it is to lose focus of what you need to do in that moment. And don't, don't let your mind wander anywhere else until it's over, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, crazy, crazy. I, w- I wanted to, to feel that with you because, uh, it's not, you know, it's not a common reality for people to have experienced what you experience. It's a, it's a, a powerful piece to, uh, to listen to. Right. Uh, did you ever have a tickle tickling moment, uh, telling that story earlier about, uh, Montana getting a manipulation on the sideline and then segue forward X number of years here you are doing that at halftime. Did you ever have that sort of moment of revelation? Here I am doing exactly what I saw. <laughs> you know, I can remember, you know, it's funny cause I remember thinking just after graduating chiropractic college that, Hey, I, I want to work in the NFL. You know what? I think I'm going to end up working in the NFL and just thinking there, there was that side of me that wanted it. And then there's the rational side saying, you're such an idiot. You live in Vancouver. There's no NFL team. Like how, how is that going to happen? But there was always that, you know, that, that part of me that just, there was this, no, I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And then I remember I was at the uh, Canadian national championships in Edmonton in the holiday in in my room and my phone my cell phone rings and it's the head strength coach from the seahawks and he's got this texas draw you know kent johnson hey jerry it's kent johnson and i'm like <laughs> from the seattle seahawks and i'm just like are you kidding me and i remember at that moment going yeah see i knew this was going to happen <laughs> and so yeah you know it was there's these moments where you just you look at where you've gotten and you just i'm it was just absolutely thankful for the opportunities and 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 you just go wow man this really happened like Mm -hmm. really got here what's been the greatest cost for you call it a negative element or a cost or whatever of being good at what you do and having that, Oh, those experiences and that, that op- those opportunities there's, it comes, I think sometimes people look at these things and they go, Oh, wow, I'd like to be him or whatever, but they don't always understand the cost. Yeah. What has been a cost for you personally? You know, to ask my wife, you know, <laughs> yeah. the biggest cost is, is certainly the, the impact that you know that it's had probably on on time away time away from my family um you know there were there were periods um when i was working in britain where um you were away four or five six weeks at a time and you know one of the most heartbreaking incidents in my life was i was in um Los Angeles at a warm weather camp and my son was three years old at the time and he wouldn't come to the phone. And my wife said, you know what he said today? We were, he, she, they, she was walking him back from, um, from Montessori school. <laughs> and he, They were talking about school and, and my son said, mom, I wish I had a dad. Oh. And I was just like, you know, as only a three year old can say, you know, 
And I was just like, she told me that and I was just devastated, you know, that, that this, cause yeah, you know, you think he's three years old and I was, um, he was born the year he was born in October of the year uh, going into the Olympics in Beijing. So I was away at the camp at the pre pre Olympic camp in Singapore. And then we went to Beijing. So, you know, you're gone for months at a time. And for a, a little guy, you know, that's a big chunk of his life. You know, when you're gone a month or you're gone mm-hmm. eight weeks, I mean, and, and so there's certainly a cost and, mm-hmm. and today, and it's nice today because of technology, you and I are looking at it, you know, being able to talk and communicate, but you know, that wasn't the case not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, there's, there's certainly the impact it has on your immediate family. When, when you, when you, these opportunities are great, don't get me wrong. And, and, and they're enjoyable and they're fun on the professional side and they fulfill a, 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 a part of us to contribute towards something bigger than ourselves. But yeah, that would probably be the biggest, the biggest cost has been the time away from family mm-hmm. for sure. You know, and then, and then as an individual, when you do these, when you work in these professions that we have the good fortune to work in is you typically become good because you really care. And the other side of it is just the emotional learning to come to an understanding that you can't fix everything. And that a lot of times, despite your best efforts, bad things happen. Mm -hmm. And it should cause you a moment to reflect. Was there anything you could have done differently um, given the information you had? But a lot of times you're going to come to the conclusion, if you're honest with yourself, that no, you know, you couldn't have done anything differently. And some, it, the hardest thing is to accept that and to give yourself the emotional break to say, I did the best I could with the information I had because we do care so much. And every, every like I said earlier, I, I learn more from each of my failures than the successes. I, I remember with Greg Rutherford, you know, everyone remembers Greg at the Olympics winning the gold medal at a home Olympics. And it was the culmination of three years of effort, but almost a year to the day before that, the year prior we had, had it was Greg's first season uh, going into the world championships. We didn't have an injury, didn't have a significant injury going into the worlds and on his first jump into the pit on full world broadcast he tore his hamstring because he made a technical mistake that he hadn't made in a long time and and i remember you know there were in there were a few key things that you know we we could have done better um that we could have done differently and uh i learned far more from that you know with him crying and and then having to bring him back and say you know hey look yeah does this suck right now? <laughs> Absolutely. It sucks. But look at, let's look at this year. You went a whole season without an injury. You know, you've had one of your best career seasons of your life. And at the end of the day, this doesn't matter because our goal is one year away at the Olympics. And, and, and so in that failure, you know, you, you take the lessons and, and, you know, it culminated a year later with him winning 
the Olympic Games, but the, mm-hmm. the failures, the failures definitely teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what changed for you becoming a dad? What changed in you? Certainly the, the real, <laughs> my wife might argue this, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> certainly realizing that it's not all about me you know that um there are things change when you know that that there is someone who needs you there who is is dependent upon you to provide and, and not you know in in every way um and it changes your motivation. You know, you have different motivations when you don't have a child. And then once you have a child, you know, everything becomes about trying to do what's best for them and to provide the best environment, best life, and, and, and as well to provide the best example for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... Uh, it definitely has a, an impact kind of on, on mindset and, uh, you know, also gives you different perspective about what's important. Mm. You know, it, uh, at the end of the day, a lot of these, a lot of times I got to remind myself, you know, that we put so much significance into sport, but at the end of the day, it is also just a game and, and there are far more, more important things in life. And, you you definitely um, gain a new perspective on that when when you have a child that uh, you know you just everything you do you want to provide the best of everything for them mm. and and that that relationship is more significant than anything you can accomplish professionally. Mm. Who who inspires you now? Who um... Who do you look for for look to for inspiration as you move forward in your career? That's a good question. That's a good question. You know, I still I still look at Dan. You know, um, he's been at it this many years and 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 still approaches it passionately. Um, you know, he's got his grandchildren now that he's that he's takes so much pride in, in telling me about when we're on the phone and he's enjoying, enjoying that aspect. And, but he's still, you know, he's still does his reading every night in subjects completely foreign to track and, and then others not, but, uh, he's all, you know, he's by all intents and purposes accomplished everything there is to accomplish in, in his, in his profession. Yet he's still, working to learn like he just Mm -hmm. does not stop um and so you know that that inspires me um you know i look at you know you know pete carroll is a is an interesting guy that i that i've had the fortune to be around and you know he talks about achieving achieving greatness or you know accomplishing um reaching the pinnacle but he also talks about what it takes to achieve sustained success 
and and those types of things I think are inspiring to me now. It's kind of a lot of people get to the top and then now the biggest challenge is how do you stay at the top? And, and, and so those, you know, that's inspiring in terms of continuing to try to always, always being curious, always wanting to learn and, and, and continuing that way. I think when we get to the point where we, that starts to go, then it might be time to consider doing something else. Cause uh, you know, it, it, you need to remain passionate. Mm-hmm. Final question, my friend. Um, when you pass from this earth, which will happen one day, hopefully not for a long, long time, but uh, how do you hope people remember you? It's a good one, too. <laughs> you know, I, I hope that people realize, you know, that, that I care that I cared for those around me and that I did the, the best I could to, to help those around me be better, do better, get better. That would probably be the big, the big thing that, that, that I did, I did as, as much as I could with the skills and talents that I had to, to help others and that I cared. Awesome. Great way to finish. Thank you very much for your time, my friend. And uh, it's been a great conversation. It's great to get to know you even more deeply. So thank uh, you for thank taking the time, Jer. Thank you, Scott, for the opportunity. It's It's been awesome. Thank cool. you. Have a good day. Thanks, you too.